This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. What an extraordinary story late last week when it was revealed by the New York Times that the FBI began an active investigation into President Donald Trump after he fired then-director James Comey. The FBI wanted to determine whether Russian leaders had tapped Trump to work for them or if he had been the unwitting target of Russian manipulation. Just sit and think about that for a second. The FBI, our highest law enforcement agency in the country, thought that maybe the president was a mark, a Russian mark, and opened an investigation to determine whether he was. It's the kind of headline that would come out of a spy novel, I suppose, but it was in the New York Times. This is real and happening in front of us. We want to spend the hour today talking a lot about Donald Trump and Paul Manafort and the Russians, what those relationships look like and what they might really be like. Are Donald Trump and Paul Manafort actual marks for the Russian government or are they people who are manipulating uh, the Russians for their own gains here in America? Aaron Reddish is a history professor at Wayne State University with a specialization in Soviet and Russian history. He joins us from time to time to talk about the relationship with Russia, and he joins us now to talk about Donald Trump and Paul Manafort and Russia. Aaron, welcome to Detroit Today. Nice to be here. And of course, we want to hear from you. What do you make of all of these headlines about the president of the United States, the people around him, and the Russian government? Do you think that Donald Trump is working on behalf of Russian interests. And if you do, do you think he's doing it intentionally? Or do you think he is the victim of Russian manipulation? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll try to work you into the conversation. Aaron, I will put those questions first to you. Is Donald Trump working on behalf of Russian interests? And if so, is he doing it intentionally? Or is he a mark? Is he a rube? Somebody that the Russians have targeted because they think they can manipulate him? Well, we don't know the answer. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's an easy cop out to say, I don't know. But I. I guess I would answer in two ways. One is it would be uh, kind of the biggest story in modern history if, in fact, the president was working for a foreign government. Um, things seem much more complicated, and that's that's kind of, the I think, the way to go. More complicated than probably what we have, more complicated than uh, how a lot of the media outlets are portraying it. Uh, so clearly, uh, Trump has shown um, a willingness to work with Russia, right? He's talked about this throughout. He's clearly has admiration for Putin, um, both as a, as a person, as on, he's kind of talked favorably about his politics. Um, he has, so there's that. There are also policies that uh, Trump has promoted that works um, to the best interests of Russia. That is not saying that he is a mark, but that there are certain 
trends of the of the Trump government that work in uh, Putin's or really Russia's favor, um, <laughs> pulling out or, or kind of um, trying to get the U.S. out of NATO or uh, questioning NATO, and uh, especially the U.S. true pullout of Syria, work on. Uh, Russia's kind of larger aims of promoting itself as a foreign power and also trying to uh, kind of uh, dismantle the European uh, kind of allegiance. Uh, However, there are a lot of things. So there's that. But there are also a lot of other policies in the United States that are working against Russia. And we need to remember that that's still going on. The sanctions are still going on. Uh, for example, uh, there are still strong visa requirements. Uh, the U.S. government, I'm not saying Trump here, but the U.S. government has spoken out against um, against Russian aggression, and Trump has occasionally. Uh, so it's much more complicated uh, than this. Um, you know, Trump is not the one person of the U.S. government. And what I think we're seeing, in fact, is not just kind of a complex relationship between Trump and Putin, but also that uh, Trump might himself feel isolated even within the White House. So, so let's pull the lens back just a little bit here and talk not about Donald Trump and the people around him, but other people and the way in which the Russians uh, over history, over time and, and in the present have manipulated these kinds of things. Uh, the history with targeting Americans or foreign nationals for influence in other governments. This is something that the Russians do quite well and quite frequently and have done for a long time. Is that is that Well, right? uh, yes and no. I mean, so uh, during the Cold War, there there was this, I mean, there was a great history of kind of cloak and dagger and the, and the Soviets were, did a better job with uh, human intelligence while the United States was better with uh, with kind of data mining. I would say that that's probably shifted after the Cold War. Um, if we kind of go back to the to the Cold War era, there were a lot of moles, Soviet moles in the United States do, doing this both through money and through ideological reasons. That shifted by the 1980s to, um, you know, if you look at Aldrich Ames, for example, uh, kind of the last big uh, U.S. spy for the Soviet Union. That was because of money, uh, and that was the United. That was uh, an agent of the United States approaching the Soviet Union. Uh, so it's a lot more complicated now. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say after the after the fall of the Soviet Union if the Russians are actually kind of creating marks or moles. What I would say is that it's, again, more complicated. It's not just the government, and it's not just the Russians going to the U.S. If we look at someone like Paul Manafort or others, uh, it's corporate interests, lobbying, um, and kind of overlapping with, uh, with U.S. interests. So it's not it's as much Russia to the U.S. as U.S. agents and really U.S. Corp- corporates, corporate uh, agents and lobbyists approaching Russians. Uh, this idea of spies versus rubes, right? Uh, yeah. Versus people who don't know that they are being targeted or, or manipulated. Um, uh, talk a little more about how the Russians have been able historically to to do that, to play 
to play both sides of that coin, I guess? Um, you know, that's that's a good question. Uh, so this is, um, I mean, if you look at the Cold War, this is all kind of much more kind of uh, cloak and dagger. Um, again, going back to, uh, to Aldrich Ames, uh, you know, that was uh, trying to uh, get, trying to break down the spy network of the of the West in the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, uh, and that was something where they would where they were willing to pay millions of dollars uh, to break down this net this network, even as the Cold War was ending. Um, the uh, you know there's there's a larger debate about uh, Soviet interests and Soviet penetration of the U.S. Communist Party and the, the radical left. We now actually know that the Soviets had. Uh, much more financial support for the U.S. Communist Party, even as it became a shadow of itself in the 1950s. Uh, but that was another way of trying to get influence into uh, into the United States. Um, they did um, occasionally try to influence elections, failed. Um, and so it was really much more behind the scenes. The uh, more open were actually Soviet attempts to uh, cultivate business interests, especially in the 1970s with the West, uh, anything from U.S. agriculture to Pepsi. Uh, and that was also to kind of shore up its economy and to bring some type of uh, consumer goods to the Soviet Union. Uh, again, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Aaron Radish, a history professor at Wayne State University. He specializes in Soviet and Russian history. We're talking about the relationship between the United States and Russia and that relationship as it plays out uh, among the top leaders, really, in our government. Donald Trump, the president of the United States, uh, the FBI, has admitted that it looked into whether he was working on behalf of Russian interests. Uh, Paul Manafort, his former campaign chairman, is also somebody who's been the subject of inquiries about the role that he's playing in the relationships he has with the Russian government. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you make of these headlines, which, uh, as I've said, uh, seem like they come out of a spy novel. Uh, do you believe that the president of the United States may be somebody working on behalf of Russian interests? And if you do, do you think he's doing that intentionally? Or do you think that the Russians see him as a mark, somebody they can manipulate, and maybe he thinks something else is going on. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Wayne in Detroit. Wayne, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for taking my call, Stephen. Sure. Uh-huh. Uh, I, uh, my uncle has a background in counterintelligence. And uh, to begin with, I think that this whole Russia thing is the equivalent of birtherism for liberals. Hmm. Uh, I think that they were humiliated at the most qualified ever, lost to the least qualified ever. And this whole thing is cooked up. Uh, first of all, if this is what my uncle told me, the hard part in counterintelligence is finding a spy. But if you suspect that someone is a spy, and Obama knew that Putin was involved in this stuff, 
before the election because mm-hmm. he told him to cut it out. Mm-hmm. If you thought Trump was a spy, you've had two years to prove that. And it doesn't take two years. Hmm. So clearly this is just another attempt from the liberal media. Every, like, a headline that says, is Trump a Russian spy? Question mark. I was trained in school that any headline that has a question mark, the answer is always no. <laughs> and and uh, this whole thing about nationalism and how nationalism is bad, well, the opposite of nationalism is globalism. So on one hand, nationalism is not good, but if you're a globalist and you have friends in other countries, then... I don't get it. Is it okay to have friends in Japan, but not Russia? Yeah, what other it. countries is it not okay to have uh, relations in? He's, you right. know, he's right. a billionaire businessman. Right. It makes sense that he would have connections in, in, in other countries. But uh, I just want to see the proof. You know, Russia yeah. took some ads out in Facebook. I don't need Russia to tell me that there's racism in the States, and I don't need Russia to tell me about Hillary's scandals. What did Russia give to the American voters that we didn't know before. Right. Uh, Wayne, I really appreciate the call and the, and the really complex thoughts uh, that, you're, that you're sharing with us there about, about this situation. Aaron Reddish, uh, is this a function of liberal paranoia? This idea, is this the equivalent of birtherism? The very idea that Donald Trump might not just be a business person who's involved with Russian interests, but might be uh, you know, working on behalf of a foreign government. Um, I, I think the idea that this is a zero sub game—that is, that Trump is uh, a a tool of Putin uh, specifically—is bananas, right? I think, and actually, I if you look at CNN's headline today, it was that uh, this is a very good day for Putin because of the. Uh, failure of the vote in of Brexit in the UK and struggles by Trump. I think that is, you know, just going several steps too far. However, uh, even if some of the reporting is bananas, there still is a lot of um, evidence that we already have that show uh, strong connections between the Trump campaign and uh, interests in Russia. Paul Manafort is kind of the, the perfect example of someone who actually had personal and commercial dealings with uh, Ukraine, with the Ukrainian leader who was a pro-Russian uh, politician, then moved to Russia, Yanukovych. Uh, there were several dealings. We need to. We only need to go back to the meeting of, at Trump Tower that shows kind of Russian interests trying to uh, influence the the Trump campaign. And also kind of this continued relationship between uh, Trump and Putin. Um, so I don't see this as equivalent of birtherism. I think that we need to always be skeptical of the headlines. I think that's a great point. Uh, and also see the complexity here. Uh, but it's not, it's not one-to-one. And you know, the evidence has already shown that there, there, there are questionable relationships between the Trump campaign and interests in Russia. What about this idea that uh, if he were working on behalf of Russian interests, we'd know by now. It wouldn't take two years to unearth that. Um, well, I mean, it's possible that that the Mueller camp, uh, that the investigation already does know something, uh, and it's just wait and see. A lot of these, uh, again, going back to the Aldrich, uh, Aldrich Ames, um, 
investigation. It actually took several years to actually uncover. So uh, these are complex things. Um, and I don't know if we're ever going to get that smoking gun. Right. That's going Will to we make ever everyone... be able to say definitively right. it was X and not Y or whether it was X and Y. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, again, Wayne, thanks very much for the call. In the thoughts, let's go to Robert in Detroit. Robert, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Um, I'm not seeing this so much as a state actors as they are maybe a personal situation between um, Putin and, and Trump and their business interests. I'm more concerned about whether or not there's money laundering going on, trying to get money out of Russia, and it's being laundered through the Trump, um, Trump companies. And I'm also kind of wondering, you know, we heard about the um, BNC hacking and we heard about the RNC hacking, but none of the emails from the RNC side came out. I'm wondering how many people in Congress might be enabling um, the transactions because of compromise. Oh, we always hear about the PP tapes, but I'm more concerned about you know the NRA and money laundering through there and which people in, in Congress got money because Lindsey Graham is really looking weird these days. Hmm. <laughs> Robert, I, I appreciate the call and the questions. Uh, Aaron Reddish, how do you how do you answer those? <laughs> um, a good. That's uh, a couple of things. One is um, you know often when we talk about Russia, we're actually talking about um, tensions within the United States, uh, and we're using Russia as a trope, as a as a meme kind to of talk about yeah. exactly to talk about um, things we don't understand in the U.S. government, uh, why people act act that way, uh, and <clears throat> I would ask us to kind of question that. The idea of money laundering is uh, a I think something that's going to come out. Uh, the one of the things that the caller kind of referenced was the role of the NRA. And remember that right now we do have in uh, in the U.S. prisons we have a, a Russian national of Maria Butina who was an unregistered foreign agent, arrested as an unregistered foreign agent to try to um, uh, promote uh, guns in Russia. Uh, and this is also kind of throwing another uh, kind of complex variable into this whole situation yeah uh, again robert really appreciate the call and the questions uh let's go to bob in lake orion bob welcome to detroit today yeah hi mm -hmm. uh yeah the media there's no question uh that trump is compromised i think it goes back to the 80s with his financial relationships but moreover whether he whether he's doing it consciously or unconsciously He's ripping up uh, NATO. He's fractured the country. He's a racist. His biggest fans often are the Klan, uh, David Duke, and other people like that. He's doing real harm to the country. If I was the enemy of the United States, I used to be in the military. I mean, I would hate to be a foreign spy or somebody getting intelligence. And the way this guy just gives out information about spies in the Oval Office, I mean, it's it's incredible. Hmm. I think it happens. There's so much of it coming at us. I think it's hard for people to grasp it. So uh, that's my uh, yeah. view. Bob, I appreciate the thoughts. Uh, Aaron, this is the other side of the coin from the from where we started with the callers. Uh, somebody saying, look, this is all liberal paranoia. Bob is saying, look, there's so much evidence so far, all of these stories about uh, the things that he's done and, of course, the relationship, I think, that he has with Vladimir Putin, which which has played out in really detailed ways. The New York Times uh, the website today, for instance, has a whole 
sort of recitation of the times in which they have met, what Trump has said uh, about Putin after each of those meetings. Also, the fact that we aren't allowed to know anything about what he talks to Vladimir Putin about. Is it unreasonable to take those data points and put them together and say, well, there's no question he's doing this on behalf of the Russians? Yeah, that's possible. Alternatively, it could also show an isolation of Trump, even in within the White House, that he did. He's he doesn't feel that his policies are in alignment with uh, the State Department, the Treasury, uh, or even his experts in the White House. If you look at inside the White House, someone like uh, Fiona Hillis, who was who worked for Brookings and is now the Russia expert inside the White House, she did not have privilege to those. Uh, to those conversations, she actually argues for um, a much stronger stance against Russia. So here you could see it as kind of compromise or you could see it as paranoia and isolation. Um, you know, they say in Russia that that there are that the Kremlin has many towers, right, that there are many voices uh, within the Kremlin. You can say that thing, say the same thing about the United States, not only just the the branches of government, but there are several competing interests uh, within the U.S. So, Yeah. Okay. Aaron Radish, history professor at Wayne State University, who specializes in Soviet and Russian history. It is always really great to hear from you on these subjects here on Detroit Today. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Up next, we're going to talk with New York Times reporter Sharon Lafreniere, who won a Pulitzer Prize for her reporting on Russian interference. We'll talk about Paul Manafort, how he became a central figure in this conversation. And don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Another person who figures pretty prominently into the questions about Russian interference in our politics is Paul Manafort, the president's one-time campaign chairman. How did he get into his relationships with Russia? And how likely or even believable is it that he was a lone actor on behalf of Russian interests? That's where we want to continue the conversation here today. And joining us to talk more about Paul Manafort is Sharon Lafreniere. She's an investigative reporter at The New York Times and the lead author on a recent piece titled The Rise and Fall of Paul Manafort, Greed, Deception, and Ego. Lafreniere was part of a team that won a Pulitzer Prize in 2018 for national reporting on Donald Trump's connections with Russia. Sharon Lafreniere, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, I want to start with uh, an excerpt uh, from your recent recent piece. Uh, You say, some of Manafort's associates now say they had predicted that greed would be his downfall. Blessed with extraordinary political instincts and his Georgetown Law School degree, Mr. Manafort built his political consultancy into a power center in Reagan-era Washington, where the name of Black, Manafort, and Stone became synonymous with string-pulling, insider access, 
and electoral success. Uh, But along the way, many say he became a mercenary, willing to serve brutal dictators and corrupt industrialists as long as they paid handsomely. Reva Levinson, an international lobbyist who worked for Mr. Manafort from 1985 to 1995, said she initially accepted his explanation that he served strongmen to push them closer to Western democratic ideals. But as time went on, she said in an interview, it seemed to me he became all about money, big money. So let's talk about how Paul Manafort came to play this complicated role in Washington. So he, um, he, he, the biggest money that he made came in the Ukraine, uh, where he was working to promote a pro-Russian uh, politician. Um, nope, have we lost you there, Sharon? I think we may have a bad connection. Uh, we will try to get Sharon back on the line. Let's go. Back to the phones, though, uh, where we do have callers still waiting to participate in the conversation. And if you want to join them, of course, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page. Put comments there. Go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Alan in St. Clair Shores. Alan, what's on your mind? Hey, good morning. Yeah. I just wanted to say that isn't it suspicious, if you will, that since before uh, Donald Trump became president, he was always full of praises for the dictators, and he continues to be so. <clears throat> I've never heard uh, <clears throat> any president of the, of, the, of the country ever, ever uh, speak so highly of characters like Putin and mm-hmm. Putin and on that it goes. And really, that's my comment. Yeah, uh, Alan, I really appreciate the call and. Uh, the comments. We do have uh, Sharon Lafreniere back from uh, the New York Times. Uh, you, you got cut off there by the phones, yeah, but you were starting to you were starting to tell us about Paul Manafort and how he came to play this really complicated role. Right. Well, the big money that he earned he earned in Ukraine working for uh, pro-Russian politician um, Viktor Yanukovych, who rose to the presidency in 2010 and then was ousted in a popular uprising in um, 2014. So uh, he he earned $60 million uh, uh, basically promoting him and elevating his career and hid much of it in secret bank accounts, to which, which gave rise to this uh, financial fraud case um, that... And, that he was convicted of uh, last summer. So that, it, that the interesting thing about that case is his whole case is that it started out just being about financial fraud, bank fraud, tax fraud, money laundering, this big, uh, uh, a big financial fraud scheme, but still pretty standard, as the judge said. But the latest revelations um, that have come out uh, since his, plea agreement uh, last fall are really the closest thing that we've heard of, of possible collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russians. I mean, it's not proof of it, but it's very intriguing. And just to sort of put him in uh, in the whole time frame, in the spring of 2016, now this is after he's um, earned all this money in the Ukraine, and then um, found himself really on the financial ropes because 
the uh, Yanukovych gets ousted and that financial spigot is turned out, but he's uh, turned off, but he's still trying to maintain his lifestyle. So the spring of 2016, he gets hired by the Trump campaign um, and he agrees to work for free, even though he has no money, no income at all at that time. And he is uh, facing a mountain of debt uh, because he um, he's still... Uh, you know, maintaining eight houses and the same lifestyle that he had when he was rolling in dough from the Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. Um, so he agrees to work for free. And, you know, at that time, there's a whole what appears to really be a coordinated effort by Russian intermediaries to reach out to and try to influence people in the Trump campaign. Like one intermediary is working George Papadopoulos, the the foreign policy advisor for Trump in London and the Rus- a Russian lawyer uh, who now says she's an informant for uh, a top Kremlin official meets with Don- Donald Trump Jr., Kushner and Manafort at the Trump Tower. And and Manafort is at the Trump campaign um, then. Um, and he's still maintaining contact with a business associate that uh, he worked with for years in the Ukraine, uh, a Russian citizen named Konstantin Klimnik, mm-hmm. who they call uh, KK for short, who has, who the prosecutors say has ongoing ties to the Russian uh, Russian intelligence. So he's working for the campaign. He's maintaining contact with um, KK, and that's when he uh, decides to turn over um, polling data. Um, from the campaign uh, and and give it to KK. Right. And some of, you know, some of that polling data is public, but some of it is private. And uh, so he instructs, you know, KK to give that data to two of the rush, richest men in the Ukraine, um, who were the people who financed his, his whole lobbying effort to promote um, the Russian-aligned politician, Yanukovych. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the question is, why did he do that? Right. I mean, I, I think there's there's this sort of line that begins to be drawn from somebody who's motivated by money and profit, which, you know, many people are, and there's nothing wrong with that. And there is really nothing wrong with uh, pursuing those aims through relationships with, with people in Russia. But the, there's an entirely different matter uh, when what you're doing is is furthering Russian interests in in American politics, uh, do you have do you have any sense of what uh, or whether there's a point in time, I guess, where Manafort's approach to this shifts from just being about money uh, to possibly being about something else? No, I I mean his the people who know him say it will, it's still about money, hmm. um, even when he's transferring uh, polling data, because he's not, he's trying to use the campaign, right, to, as a sort of springboard to get back into the game. Um, he's hoping, he's working for free because he wants to use his status. He thinks that by using his status in the campaign, he can get, you know, financial clients in the future. He's not looking for a job in the administration or anything. He wants to get back you know, working for these deep-pocketed um, foreigners who have 
you know, provided him with the good life for so many years. But but so it's possible that, you know, he gives this polling data to this guy, KK, and he tells him, give it to these two oligarchs in the Ukraine who had hired me. Uh, but the question is, why would they want it? I mean, they don't, you know, neither of them, as far as I know, even speaks or reads much English. So what were they going to do with it? Mm-hmm. And uh, and what was K- what did KK do with it? Did he give it to the Kremlin to use in its, you know, covert operation to using social media and uh, other tactics to boost Trump's campaign? And uh, um, I think one of the other callers was asking, why does Trump uh, keep supporting Manafort, right? Uh, if I heard, mm-hmm. and I, I, I have that same question. I mean, mm-hmm. you might say, okay, well, he didn't know that his um, campaign chairman was giving a Russian um, with ties to the intelligence, Russian intelligence services, his polling data. He didn't know that, but he has known because it's been widely reported for months now that while Manafort was his campaign chairman, he had offered campaign briefings to a Russian oligarch named Oleg Deripaska, who's quite close to the Kremlin. So the president knows that, yet he praises Manafort as a brave man, you know, who's been unfairly victimized by the special counsel, Robert Mueller. And, um, and he said that, you know, a pardon for Manafort is not off the table. Hmm. You would th- think he would, you know, be concerned that Manafort was betraying the campaign yes. in some way, by, uh, or at least trying to profit off the campaign, which is something that um, Trump does not like. Right. You know, he doesn't like people profiting off their connections with him. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Sharon Lafreniere, an investigative reporter at the New York Times, lead author of a recent piece titled The Rise and Fall of Paul Manafort, Greed, Deception, and Ego. Uh, she was also part of a team at the Times that won the Pulitzer Prize in 2018 for national reporting on Donald Trump's connections with Russia. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, we are talking about Paul Manafort, uh, this this figure who figured prominently into the Trump campaign, uh, a business person who has long had ties uh, to Russia. But there are, of course, questions emerging now about whether those business ties uh, pushed him into the realm of, uh, of giving inappropriate information uh, to Russian sources. Uh, give us a call. Tell us whether you're concerned about the level of Russian influence in American politics, uh, or is all of this a distraction or maybe an isolated incident that we are making too much of? Or are we simply in an exceptional time uh, that uh, we are seeing uh, in an extraordinary relationship between people at the highest levels of our government and people in Russia. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into 
the conversation. Uh, I, I want to talk a little about uh, Paul Manafort before all of this. Uh, this is somebody who was largely responsible for big changes in the way that money worked in Washington, sort of irrespective of all of this question about about Russia. This is somebody who changed the game in Washington. Isn't that right? Uh, yes, that's true. And uh, he changed the game, but he also didn't really abide by the rules. Uh, as um, as uh, Ms. Levinson wrote uh, in her memoir, he didn't think that the rules applied to him. He thought the rules were uh, for people who who didn't know how to outsmart the system. But um, basically, that's the, the consulting business that he formed um, a, as a young man, um, basically during the Reagan days, um, did kind of break the mold in that he he married uh, like politics and lobbying in Washington in a way that they hadn't been done before. Um, uh, um, and he, I mean, he he did make a lot of money doing that, uh, but nonetheless, you know, it, he's it's back in 1995 when he struck out on his own, at focusing on these foreign clients in former Soviet states where uh, you could work for basically people who had control over whole industries. Um, he also worked for dictators, and uh, and uh, so he's kind of out of the Washington scene. Um, from the mid '90s, which was kind of which made it sort of more strange that he became Trump's campaign chairman in early in in early um, actually I think it was May 2016. He was recommended by uh, Tom Barrack, who is you know a billionaire financier and one of uh, the president's closest friends, but he hadn't been in the Washington game for a long time. Mm. And and this this sort of reemergence in in Washington does that, according to the reporting, does that lend itself to the scrutiny? I guess about this this connection with Russia that that perhaps this is uh, about something more than just money that that uh, these these relationships that he had with Russian influences uh, might. Be the very reason that he was welcomed into the into the campaign. I think no. I think it was more the fact that um, that uh, Trump was having trouble getting people to of caliber to work for him. Hmm. He hmm. was, you know, he had a very skeleton campaign, and he didn't. Even though he said he was self financing, he did not want to spend his own money. So this campaign was operating on a, a shoestring, and Manafort was willing to work for free, which Trump liked. And he also, you know, is a sort of good-looking guy, very expensively dressed. Um, that also appealed to the president. <laughs> and uh, and he came in with, with Tom Barrett's recommendation. So that was a big plus. I mean, he is a skillful political consultant. He is a very smart man. <laughs> And uh, he does know politics, um, even if his, you know, if he was his work in Washington had been even if he was sort of out of date in a lot of ways. He nonetheless uh, is pretty much recognized as, as, you know, 
a very skillful political operative. And as to the question of, you know, was he somehow a Russian agent? I mean, he's been convicted of 10 felonies. He could well, he's probably going to spend the rest of his life in prison. The prosecutors have thrown the book at him and they've won, but they have never charged him or even accused him of being an agent of the Russian government. And uh, he did admit that he lobbied in the U.S. as a foreign agent for uh, the Ukrainian government and that he lied about that um, work to the Justice Department. And that Ukrainian government was aligned with Russia. But that's different than functioning as a Russian operator, operative. And if the prosecutors could have charged him with that, they, I believe they would have done that they by would. now. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've had him. He's been cooperating with them. The The plea agreement is broken off now, but he's been cooperating with them some, for for months, and he, they had 12 meetings with him. So Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation uh, about Paul Manafort and Donald Trump and the Russians. Uh, stay with us, and stay with us on the phones, 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for joining us. My guest is Sharon Lafreniere. She's an investigative reporter at the New York Times, lead author on a recent piece titled The Rise and Fall of Paul Manafort, Greed, Deception, and Ego. Uh, Lafreniere was also part of a team that won the Pulitzer Prize in 2018 for uh, national reporting on Donald Trump's connections with Russia. We're talking about all of the various connections and uh, innuendo and uh, accusations, I guess, that have been made about those connections, uh, the, the the headlines that we continue to see about uh, the questions about what role the, the president and some around him are playing with regard to uh, Russian connections and Russian desire to interfere in our politics here in America. Uh, as always, the number on the phones, if you want to join the conversation, is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. Uh, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work uh, you into the conversation. Um, uh, uh, as a as a reporter who's been uh, sort of following this for a, a long time, I, I, I'm curious uh, how you compare these questions about this president to past inquiries into into presidents or past accusations. We had a caller earlier who uh, I think we didn't get onto the air, but but who was really concerned. Uh, that this is uh, this is like birtherism. This is uh, like the kind of smearing that went on with President Obama. We had another caller who was concerned that uh, Hillary Clinton, for instance, uh, he, in his estimation, was not uh, subject to the same kind of scrutiny that that Donald Trump uh, is. I, I wonder, as somebody who's been a central part of this, if you can give us a, some perspective on how you guys approach. 
these stories uh, and how much uh, that plays into your mind, the, the, the fairness question and the, 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 com- the comparable questions about other politicians? Well, I, I mean, I've never seen, I've been a reporter for decades, I've never seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. I've never, I mean, we've never chased this many uh, allegations about uh, any White House. We've never, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's almost numbing than the amount. Uh, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of news coming out of the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, um, uh, but to me, this is really extraordinary. And it's frustrating, too, because we have this special counsel who's been digging into this for 19 months now and um, and totally out of the blue, completely unexpectedly, you'll get a revelation that will sh- literally shake the newsroom, like the polling data. We're like, we thought we knew everything about Paul Manafort, and we didn't know that he transferred polling data. Hmm. And uh, and then, you know, and there's we know that there's more to come, because just yesterday, for instance, the special counsel filed a 155-page um, um, document in court about what they think Mr. Manafort has lied to them about, and it was almost completely redacted. Um, the only reason we even found out about the polling data was because the defense, that Manafort's defense lawyers had botched the redaction. And so if you copied the redacted portion and you pasted it into a Word document and you control-clicked, you could see what was underneath the blacked-out lines. That's the only reason we know about that. And so yesterday's filing, filing, 155 pages, is almost all blacked out. For instance, Manafort was asked in the grand jury, five lines blacked out. Hmm. Manafort explained that he had not told, blacked out. Manafort was then asked, what? Blacked out. After a lunch break, Manafort said, blacked out. So, you know, it's very frustrating as a reporter to try and figure out what's underneath those lines. But no, I, I, uh, I don't, I, I don't see any relationship to birtherism, and there were definitely allegations about Hillary Clinton, but not to this extent. So not to this degree. Uh, do Do you worry about uh, readers becoming numb? To, to, to these stories because, as you point out, they are so frequent and there are so many accusations uh, and there's kind of that, you know, quarter turn element to, to so much of it because we don't know so many things about what's going on. Uh, do you worry that that uh, that readers are, are not taking this maybe as seriously as they should? Uh, well, I, I think my problem as a, as a writer is that is I worry that readers are just are just going to get too confused because there are many names, right? Many and there are many contacts. We have had a steady stream of revelations for two years about contacts between um, Russian officials or Russian operatives or Russian citizens and people who are associated with. Or working for, or working for the Trump campaign, and I think it, people are starting to get lost in it because there's just um, the the um, 
we, every time there's a new contact that we learn about, we report about it. But the big, big picture is that there were there was an extraordinary effort, which looks like a coordinated effort by Russia to try and influence the Trump campaign. And um, and you know, there's probably more contacts yet that we haven't figured out. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I don't know if we are. Um, I worry that we as journalists are not conveying the big picture well enough because there's there's just so many details. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you also, um, I guess, if if the question is uh, whether there was this collusion or or cooperation uh, with this Russian uh, this Russian intent, how much does the, does the the potential for this to have been an unwitting cooperation figure into your reporting. Do you do you believe it's possible that Paul Manafort and maybe even the president didn't know uh, didn't know the extent of uh, the, the consequence of what they were doing? Absolutely. I think that's possible, maybe even probable. You know, uh, we're all hoping that um, um, I mean, I have not seen like witting any evidence of witting cooperation mm-hmm. uh, yet, right? Uh, <laughs> and hopefully, you know, the the Mueller report will will explain this all to uh, people. But uh, it seemed like from yesterday's testimony by um, Mr. Barr that we may not see the we may not actually see much of the report. Okay, Sharon Lafreniere, investigative reporter at the New York Times, lead author of a recent piece titled The Rise and Fall of Paul Manafort, Manafort Greed, Deception, and Ego. Very great to have you here with us Thank on Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Uh, that's going to do it for us today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. Uh, we're going to talk uh, tomorrow. We're going to start at least talking about uh, John Engler, the interim president at uh, Michigan State University. Uh, the board of trustees is scheduled to meet tomorrow to discuss his fate after really controversial comments he made about survivors of the Larry Nasser scandal. So you'll want to tune in for that. Uh, This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. I'll see you tomorrow.